<laughs> I'm so happy! Yay! What the Molly was at my house! <laughs> Why are you laughing? Welcome back, creeps. <laughs> apologies for that. Uh, apologies for all that noise. Still says a bit excited. And actually, you're not the only one. I saw a few people on Instagram. Um, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm heavy breathing for this new Animal Crossing update. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I saw quite a few people on our Instagram had it in their stories. That's how I knew that yeah. it was today. You sensed it. No, I saw people had posted. Oh, my no, God. No, I mean, like, <laughs> no, that I was doing that. Oh, yeah, I knew. Like, that's exactly what you were doing. See, and the thing is, I didn't even know the update was available today because it's the update and the paid DLC, right? So the paid DLC drops tomorrow, but they presented it in a way that both the update and the DLC was going to be available tomorrow. But the update's available a day early. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. I nice. had Molly at my house. She was like, hey, kitten. She was like, do you mind if I come over and hang out? And I'm like, hell yeah, Molly. <laughs> Molly is a fictional duck, not uh, she is, not what everybody else is thinking. You're like, I've is, got Molly at my house. <laughs> she is beautiful. There's no Molly in this house. She is grace. She is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> she is too pure for this world. But yes, he's right. If you don't know who Molly is, look up Molly, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Molly the duck. That's who I'm talking about. She's gorgeous. She likes reading. She likes sewing. She likes walk watching documentaries. I feel like if Molly had a job, she'd work at a library. Anyway. <laughs> our patron of the week this week is Charles J. I hope I'm saying that right. That's how... Charles? Charles, yeah, just Charles. Oh. Yeah, I think it is Charles. Maybe it's short for Charlie. Either way, Charles. So Charles J, thank you very much. Do you think maybe Charles is actually this whole time a plural of Charles? Maybe. Maybe it's just one single Charles. Yeah. That's a I've, good theory. Yeah. How was your week, they'll say, apart from Animal Crossing? The week was a gray fog, and then the light came through in the form of an Animal Crossing update. <laughs> so that's to say... It's a blur. It's a downward. It was a downward spiral. Yeah. Until the Animal Crossing. Until the downward. Animal Crossing update. No, I. you know what? I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley, which I thought I would hate because of how like pixelated. Yeah. It is like the Super Nintendo games. Like think of like your Super Nintendo, Super Mario or NES Mario. Yeah. It looks like a Pokemon. Yeah, and I thought I would hate it, but now I can't fucking put it down. <laughs> well, that's good. I had a terrible day at work today. But shout out to our new friends from the gym. I appreciate you all listening to me. Yeah, if you see me, say hey. Yeah, definitely do. Right, are, are you ready for this? Are you? I don't think you are. Are you? Honestly, we're about to get balls deep in it. Are you? I'll fight you. Welcome to <laughs> Lycanthropy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Part this three. Again. <laughs> I promise this is the fucking end. I never want to read another werewolf story in my life. Yeah. That's a lie. I really want. Send us your werewolf stories. But no, so up until now, we've been like dealing with way back when, right? Like all the way, what, since like the 1500s? Yep. And I was trying to do it in a timeline that would bring us all the way back up to modern times. So this one starts one fine sunny Saturday in 1952 in Southend-on-Sea, Essex, right? A nine-year-old boy named Bill Ramsey is out playing on his own in his back garden, all on his tobler, 
right? What's that? <laughs> all on his Toblerone. You get it? He's all on his own. Oh my god, this again. <laughs> oh. I thought that was the perfect opportunity to bring in some uh, This again. Some fucking rhyming slang slang. Yeah, all on his Tobler. I remember somebody saying that to me like years ago and I was like, the fuck are you saying? And then when he explained it, Toblerone, Tobler, all on your own. Oh I literally god. cried laughing. Makes me happy. I cried. I just <laughs> cried. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Bill's out out in his back garden, playing on his own. Nothing strange about this. He was like a super normal kid. He had plenty of school friends and all that. But like any normal pre-phone kid, he was actually able to entertain himself for hours mm-hmm. on end. He was well-adjusted. Well-adjusted, yes. From the age of around four or five, Bill said that he always felt a little bit different, but he never really knew why. But like, same bill yeah same so this day in particular he had been to see some good old-fashioned war films at the saturday matinee which was like his favorite thing to do and after helping his mom do some chores he ran out to play fighter pilot that's Um, cute yeah i know it said like his mom had like hung the washing out Mm -hmm. so he would like fly in between oh that's so wholesome (laughs) yeah anyway it's about to be not so wholesome i love that he named it though this thing I do, it's called fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to go outside now and I'm going to play uh, fighter pilot, but I'll be I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> so he was outside playing in the sun for about an hour when he felt a sudden chill. And in his own words, have you ever walked into a meat locker right after you've been outside in, on a hot day? No, but I get it. <laughs> that's That's what this was like. So what you're saying is it's cold. It was so cold. Got it. Okay. I was playing and my body temperature was normal. And then, well, I'd say it felt as if my body temperature dropped a good 20 degrees. Yeah. Okay, I can't keep that up because we actually need to get through this and there's so much to read. Oh, okay. Sweat froze on me and my whole body started shaking. It was as if I'd opened this door and stepped inside to another dimension or something. And there was this odor, very foul. A few years earlier, a sewer on our street had backed up. I'd never smelled anything as foul as the gases that escaped. And that's what this smell was like that afternoon. I was afraid I was going to vomit. Bill stood in the backyard for a very long time, trying to make sense of what had happened to him. I think he felt, like, violated in some way, but he was only nine, so, like... Because he smelled something bad? No, but, like, just this whole experience, like, and this this weird coldness that kind of came in him mm-hmm. but something had changed within him okay nothing that you could see from like just looking at him or anything like that but something inside of him was like detrimentally different now interesting yeah this sensation stayed with him this cold and this awful smell eventually just faded away and he went back to his games tried to go on as normal but he felt like it was childish now like yeah right literally in the span of whatever this short amount of time was i feel like the way he worded it 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 sounded like he had just lost this part of himself now like, like some of the innocence was gone like you'd say puberty or something maybe but as a nine-year-old boy i went through puberty at nine but girls start earlier than boys yeah but i mean i feel like there might be exceptions and i don't think it just starts like that like i don't <laughs> think it's like oh i'm pubescent now <laughs> <laughs> no i yeah. don't think so either but it sounds like yeah, this yeah. is on like the beginnings 
So Bill stopped playing and as the sun was setting he was left standing in his garden just staring at the first stars in the darkening night sky. As he stood there he felt that strange coldness begin to seep in again. With a shudder he walked over to the fence and looked down the dark narrow alley that ran behind the houses. A rage was building inside him and through his mind ran wolves and visions of him transforming into some wolf-man hybrid. Insert. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> he was vaguely aware of his mom calling him to come back in and wash up for dinner, but this only angered him even more. So like, I don't want a fucking dinner, woman. <laughs> I'm a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turned, the rage starting to course through him now, and in so doing, caught the toe of his shoe against the fence post. He tripped and fell to the ground. By the time he'd regained his feet, his anger was blinding him, and he heard the low, chilling rumble of a frenzied beast and knew that, somehow, it was himself he was hearing. Hmm. He turned to the fence post, which had been dug and planted deep into the ground, and tore it from its moorings so violently that dirt and grass were flung all the way up to the back porch. Seeing this, his horrified mother called to his father, and they both came running out of the house, but Bill was too far gone in his rage to stop. Three men would have had a hard time getting the fence post from the ground, yet Bill had done it simply and brutally. And now he stood swinging the post over his head as if it were nothing more than a baseball bat. The wire fencing attached to the post was still nailed to the wood. When his parents drew close and shouted for him to put the post down, Bill hurled it to the ground, but then he fell to his knees and began ripping into the wire fencing with his hands. He pulled the fencing to his teeth and began tearing it apart with his teeth. His father, terrified now, tried to pull his son to his feet, but was having a difficult time. The boy's strength was incredible and frightening. Still sounds like puberty to me. (laughs) (laughs) He saw another image of himself as a wolf. Another growl started up from his belly and filled his chest and burst out of his mouth. His mother and father ran back into the house. Wow. We weren't ready. Yeah. On the back porch, his mother tripped. His father bent to pick her up and when he did so, he looked back at his son and thought he saw a wolf. And then his parents rushed inside and bolted the door, leaving Bill in the twilight in the twilight backyard. So they left him out there. This monster that had been their own son Uh in the dark until this fit of unholy rage ran its course and he seemed to finally be back to normal again. The coldness had left him, but he still felt it in him. It was like it had reserved the small space within him that he would never get back. He gingerly knocked on the back door and his parents, still terrified but torn by the fact that this was their little boy, carefully unlocked and opened the back door. Bill burst in and ran straight into their arms. The three of them held each other in the doorway, in tears, for quite some time. Bill's mother noted that something was different about her son now. Physically, he was different, but she couldn't quite put her finger on what it was. They all put the memory away in some vault, deep in the back of their minds, and just never spoke of it. Ultimately, Bill just repressed this memory, but the fear of what happened never left him. He said the whole memory was like some sort of outer body experience. Like he had just watched the whole episode unfold from some safe vantage point 
while he saw himself literally chewing through the fencing wire. He lived in fear of another attack, of what he might do if there were other children around next time, or if one of his friends just happened to say something that would trigger another attack. But Bill's family had been exceptionally poor, okay? Like, growing up, they didn't have a lot. He was one of eight kids and always felt like he didn't get all that much love and attention. He was just kind of there. Yeah, existing. Wallpaper kid, like, yeah. His parents even had one of his elder sisters adopted to try and alleviate some of their financial strain. Like, that's that's pretty crazy to me. <laughs> like, Yeah, so he wasn't well-adjusted like you had previously mentioned then. Well, no, like, he was content to keep himself entertained, mm. you know? But, yeah, I guess maybe, like... In terms of his mom and dad, I guess there just was not enough of them to go around, maybe. Mm. But in terms of just being a normal kid, I, I think he was. I disagree, but go on. Okay, I will go on. <laughs> My next point is, this didn't seem to have any effect on poor little Bill. <laughs> that being said, Bill went on to live a very regular life. He didn't excel in school or anything, but he was a smart kid, like he was... He had plenty of friends and was always playing football or going to the movies or just doing regular kid shit. And although he didn't do great in school, he was still like an intelligent person, you know. He would get into fights with other kids and occasionally lose his temper. And when this would happen, like he would really lose his shit. But it was a rare occasion. Still nothing like that day in 1952. He left school in 1958 without graduating at the age of 15 or 16, and got straight to work. Bill was a grafter, okay, like, from the get-go. I think, like, much like most kids of that age, it's, like, either school or work. Something will, like, be his channel, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And as soon as he left school, he got went to work in construction as a laborer and eventually got taken on as a carpenter. He enjoyed this work and, naturally, the money that went along with it he was no stranger to the party scene in London during the early 60s, which honestly sounds amazing. But he also wouldn't miss a day's work. So, like, even if he had been out all night, he'd still manage to show up on time for work. In 1965, he married his wife, Abby, and they quickly got to work making babies. Anne, Gail and Ted. And Bill made a great dad by the sounds of things. And they managed to do quite well for themselves, like they had savings and stuff like that which would have been unheard of you know by his own family or his own parents throughout the next few years though bill would have this recurring dream in the dream quote his wife stood at the kitchen sink on a sunny spring morning washing the breakfast dishes he approached her from behind and called her name aloud she turned around to face him she was smiling but the smile vanished instantly and she began screaming, covering her eyes and shrieking so loudly that he was forced to flee the kitchen. He had become some kind of monster. He seemed to have this dream a good few times in the first couple of years of their marriage, and then it stopped suddenly, only to come back to him after around a year and a half. And one night, during a freezing snowstorm, he awoke in the darkness of his bed. Next to him, Abby lay sleeping peacefully. At first he was confused. He wondered what had awakened him. He even considered the possibility that he was still dreaming. And then he heard the low animal rumbling there in the darkness. Some kind of beast 
crouched in the shadows of the room, ready to strike. The rumbling came again. Bill froze, unable to move. He felt like a terrible coward. He should be up on his feet defending his family. Instead, he was... There was the rumbling again. But this time Bill Ramsey realised where the sound was coming from. Himself. His own chest. He thought now of his old nightmare, of watching his wife turn around and facing him, and beginning to scream. And then he thought of the animal rumbling noise in his chest and throat. Was that what had frightened Abby in the dream? Had Bill turned into some kind of beast? Three months later, the TV was showing a rerun of Lon Chaney's The Wolfman. Over dinner, Abby said, Oh, you'll want to watch that, love. You know how much you like it. Bill threw down his napkin and pushed away from the table. Did it ever occur to you that I'm sick of the wolf, man? <laughs> he said as he stormed out of the kitchen. Again, I say, he was never well adjusted. <laughs> but, I mean... I feel like he has... He's always had these anger issues. Maybe, maybe. But it's like, so rarely does it come out, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, when you don't talk about things and you keep them bottled up, you're prone to outburst. Even if it is about the wolf, man. Yeah. But that was all. Like, poor Abby was clueless as to what the fuck had just happened. But they lived on happily all throughout the 70s. Like, no drama, apparently. Kept working away. Like, building up a nice little uh, nest egg and whatever. The kids were well looked after. But unfortunately, the recession in the 80s saw Bill on the unemployment line with pretty much everyone else at the time. After talking with a friend one night, he decided to borrow some money from his father-in-law and he started his own cleaning company, going around after hours, cleaning offices, emptying them out, getting them ready for the next tenants, that kind of thing. So one of his jobs took him to Billericay. Mm. Yay! Which is the town where Gav and Smithy from Gavin and Stacey are from. Gavin and Stacey was a British TV show that ran for three seasons and it's where James Corden got his start on television, I think. But this was back when he was still really heavy and really, really funny. It's a great TV show. Watch it. it. Is. So I got all excited when I saw Bill and Ricky. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bill had been working on his own, but this particular job required extra labor. So he took on two of his friends, Jeremy and Scott, to help him out with some painting. Around this time, Bill started waking up randomly throughout the night. And he would just walk over to the window and spend long periods of time just staring at the moon. He said he would have images of wolves appear and disappear in his mind and occasionally feel a shiver of some strange coldness. He was starting to freak himself out a bit, but in general he felt fine, like physically he felt normal. He put it all down to stress and tiredness and tried to forget about it. One Sunday evening, after working flat out all weekend, Bill, Jeremy and Scott decided to pull into a pub for a few pints before heading home. As they were walking in, Bill felt that strange chill go down the length of his body. He shuddered, but thought nothing of it. Someone walking over his grave or something, you know? He forgot all about it and started drinking. But he went nuts on the drink. Mm. Okay? And he was usually really good, like with drinking like he was a normal regular like one or two pints and then head on home kind of guy knew how to pace himself handle his beers but not this night he went to the bathroom before they headed on home and as he was washing his hands 
He looked in the mirror and for a split second saw a wolf looking back at him. He splashed some cold water on his face and just laughed it off. Must be the drink. I need to go home and get some rest. Scott was the designated driver that evening. He had only had around eight pints. <laughs> the passenger seat had all of their painting gear for some reason. And so Bill was sat in the back with Jeremy. When suddenly he was overcome with this peculiar urge. His mind was racing with visions of wolves. And the coldness seemed to seep into his skin once again. He tried with every ounce of inner strength to not let it take over him like it had when he was a boy. Digging his nails into the palms of his hands so deeply that he drew blood. And staring out the window when he heard it. This rumbling noise. Beginning in his stomach and working its way up into its throat. The two lads heard it too. Scott turned around and asked, what the fuck is going on back there? And Jeremy's like, oi, settle down over there, you. Or something to that extent. But they both sounded like, you know, they thought he was just trying to pull a prank on them or something, you know? But at the same time, they were kind of afraid, because they are like, what the fuck am I hearing? But then suddenly, Bill went for Jeremy in the back of the seat in the back of the car in all the attack lasted five full minutes bill's hand assumed a claw-like grasp and terrifying growls and howls began issuing from his mouth jeremy called out for help but no matter how hard he slammed his fists into bill's head and shoulders bill kept coming at him at one point he even tried to bite jeremy's leg scott pulled the car over to the side of the road and turned around trying to break up the fight in the shadows, Bill's head and hands looked different, wolf-like somehow, as his bared teeth and glinting eyes shone in the darkness. Get away from him, Scott demanded. By now, Jeremy Wright considered himself in a serious brawl. He used fists, elbows and a few headbutts to try and keep Bill Ramsey at bay. It took several minutes for Scott and Jeremy to subdue Bill. They pushed him into the corner of the car and held him there, until they could see that he was starting to calm down. The glint in his eyes eventually faded, the bared teeth disappeared back behind his lips, and his curled hands straightened into normal fingers again. A whimpering sound started deep in Bill's chest and worked its way up into his throat. Bill jumped out of the car and immediately just started going for a piss. Right, <laughs> like literally like where he landed outside of the car, just whipped it out and started pissing. For some reason. They'd stopped along the edge of a forest and he stood there now, just trying to figure out what the fuck had happened. He had blacked out. He remembered being in the car, happy enough, then nothing. Now he's here. He still had the remnants of this wolf memory, but he decided it must have just been him and Jeremy having some sort of stupid drunken spat and he went back and got into the car. This time, Jeremy moved the painting stuff and got in the front with Scott. They drove the rest of the way home. Bill went straight to bed when he got home, only to be woken up around four hours later by Abby. She said he was tossing and turning and growling deeply in his sleep. She was scared of these noises. He assured her everything was fine and they went back to sleep. But his dreams were filled with visions of a running wolf, running from hunters who were trying to catch and kill him. When he awoke again, he was freezing cold and feeling somehow strange. The next morning, he told Abby everything. And let me just say, Abby is a fucking saint. She didn't like disbelieve him or anything, 
but she did ask that he take an evening off to rest. They just put it down to like, oh, you're just tired from all this work, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You're not really turning into a wolf or anything. Yeah. You're just tired. Nothing to mention about the childhood trauma that's following him in his adult years. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, not even mentioning him trying to bite Jeremy's leg. Yeah. Um, and or that he probably has budding alcoholism. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, next time you saw Scott and Jeremy, they just kind of laughed it off. Like, he made out like he was just having them on. And I mean, oh, I was only messing with just like, just having a bit of a laugh. Ha 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 Okay. And for the next year, everything was going great. Bill managed to sell the cleaning company, get back to carpentry, and he also took a part-time job at a local taxi dispatch office. Abby said she did try and keep a close eye on him. And he just appeared to be fine. He was just regular old Bill. But then one night, Abby woke up. Quote, <laughs> yeah, that is all. <laughs> just once. <laughs> just once. <laughs> Quote, the luminous hands on the clock said it was 3.28 a.m. I wasn't sure what had awakened me. The room was dark. For some reason, my heart was pounding and my hands were shaking. Something frightening had happened. And then, over by the window, I saw Bill silhouetted against the moonlight and heard the low, throaty noise in his throat. I didn't write this. This is from the book. Bill. That's how she sounds. In your head, that's how she yeah. sounds. Bill. Oh, no, Bill. Um. <laughs> it doesn't even sound like you're saying words. It sounds like you're making noises. <laughs> so she heard She heard the low throaty noise in his throat. Bill. Ew, watch it just be a burp. You know how I yeah. do that. He said nothing, but I did hear a throaty sound as he turned... But I did hear a throaty sound as he turned his head towards me. Bill, are you all right? <laughs> I started to throw back the covers and go to him. Stay there, Abby. But what's wrong? His head swung back to the window and to the full silver moon framed perfectly in the glass. Go back to sleep, Abby. He said, so- oh, so he said softly, go back to sleep, Abby. And then I realized he was crying. Bill is not a man often given to tears. Bill! Please, Abby, you have to trust me. It's better if you just go back to sleep, please. I wasn't sure what had happened. All I knew for sure was that something terrible had come over Bill. I lay there for a full hour just watching his silhouette in the moonlight. He touched his face many times, poking, prodding, as if trying to reassure himself that it was his own face and not that of... It just goes off there... Um, finally, two hours later, he slipped under the covers next to me and fell promptly and deeply asleep. In the morning, he said nothing about the incident, and neither did I. What I didn't understand was that the wolf troubles, much against Bill's wishes, were starting all over again. So December 5th, 1983, Bill was flat out with work. I think he would go straight to his dispatch job from his regular job, and then come home around 7 o'clock or so for about an hour before heading back to the dispatch office. On these evenings, Abby would always have a big dinner ready for him, and tonight was no different. He wolfed down his dinner. Uh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, And seemed a little on edge or agitated. He assured Abby he was fine, just tired and in a rush. But as Abby helped him get his coat on, she noticed that he felt unnaturally cold. She asked him to stay home, But again, he assured her he was fine. Then, as he was driving back to work, 
he got a sudden sharp pain in his chest and pulled over, trying to get his breath under control and to figure, trying to figure out whether this was just his dinner repeating on him or he was having an actual heart attack. The pain was getting worse, so he headed straight for the hospital, parked, and as he got out of his car, another wave of pain washed over him and he collapsed back against the door. He managed to get himself to the door of the emergency room when that old familiar coldness started to fill him, working its way upwards from his legs. The emergency room was empty, just two nurses who ran to help Bill as soon as they saw him. They got him a bed and took his vitals and he calmed down. He was still freezing, so they gave him an extra blanket. There was nothing wrong that the nurses could see straight away, and then he felt the rumbling sensation in his belly. It started almost like gas pain, moving up through his stomach and oh, into his chest and then into his throat. That's the worst, gas yeah. pain. All the time the sensation moved, it gathered power, so that when it reached his mouth, it was expressed in a roar that bounced off the walls and seemed to echo for a good two minutes. Both nurses jumped back from the gurney, both looked at Bill in terror. Bill knew now that he was changing. Images of wolves filled his mind. Imagine being able to burp so loud and so violently that you're scaring nurses. I know. Nurses. He felt another growl work up from his belly and out of his, and out of his mouth. He felt his hands beginning to curl powerfully into paw-like claws. He started to get up from the gurney. The first nurse, obviously braver than the other one, said, Now, Bill, you must lie there and be quiet. <laughs> Bill growled again. I don't know what's going on here, Bill, but it's not anything a man in your condition should be doing. Bill raised himself from the gurney and put one foot on the floor. The first nurse started over to him. She put a hand on his shoulder. He swiped at her with one of his powerful hands. She jumped back just in time. But this woman was a testament to the entire nursing profession. Instead of deserting Bill, she put her hand on his shoulder again and tried to lay him back down on the gurney. Please, Bill, she kept whispering. You're going to shit yourself with all the gas. Yeah, and Bill allowed himself to be pressed back on the gurney, at least for a few moments. But just as his head was touching the pillow, he let out a horrifying roar again and snapped upwards once more. This time, before he knew what he was doing, he grabbed the nurse's arm and dug his teeth into the tender flesh just below the elbow. She screamed. The other nurse, finding her own courage now, came at Bill and slapped at him Good. so he'd let so he'd let the other nurse go but at first he didn't let her go at all he kept hold of her bleeding arm the iron-like tart taste of blood Ew. human blood filled his mouth Ew. he held onto her arm as if he never planned to let go of it the other nurse ran out into the hall yelling for help how did she yell help Help! It's a wolf man! Help! <laughs> Luckily yes. enough, a local policeman who was just making his rounds, this mm -hmm. was like his usual stop in. Like he'd walk in, get out of the cold, grab a cup of coffee, make sure everything was going all right. It's like, you sick people still sick? All right. Wankers. Anyway, he was just finishing his coffee when he heard this nurse's screams. He ran with the intern he'd just been chatting with. They literally thought there, there was a rabid dog stuck in the hospital or something like, because that's what it sounded like. 
because of Bill, not because of the nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Quit your back in, nurse. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> what he saw, he couldn't believe. There, crouched in the far corner, was a wild-looking man holding the two nurses at bay. The growls were not coming from some animal, but from the man. The policeman pushed into the room, stepping over a chair that had been hurled and smashed against the wall. The closer he got to the man, the more the man growled. The policeman tried to act unperturbed by this, but the sight and sound of the man rattled him. He couldn't help himself. With the way the man crouched, his face slick with sweat and contorted into an animal-like expression, all the policeman could think of was... Wolf. I'd like to talk to you, sir. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. You can't be doing that. The man, frenzied, glanced wildly around the room. Hatred showed in his eyes when he saw the nurses. He clearly felt they betrayed him in some way. The policeman could sense the intern coming up behind him. The intern was a brave lad. Together they were going to try and capture the wild man. The gurney had restraining straps on it. If they could just get him up there and... The man picked up another chair and flung it across the room. The nurses screamed again. The policeman and the intern kept inching forward. We don't want to hurt you, sir, the policeman <laughs> said. We want to help you, that's all. No, it's we want to help you. We want to help you. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> Please, sir, the policeman <laughs> said. And then the man jumped at him, grabbing the policeman's arm and trying unmistakably to bite him. The low growl was even more chilling this time. The intern used this moment to get behind the man. He got the man's right arm in a hammerlock and shoved him forward to the policeman. Grabbing the man by the shoulder, the policeman shoved him down on the gurney. Quickly, the two men lashed him to the cart with restraining straps. They both considered themselves lucky. The man had been so strong they'd barely been able to handle him. And even now, strapped down, it seemed like he would eventually be able to snap the straps. He moved so violently inside the straps that the gurney was literally lifting from the floor. Just as an extra precaution, the policeman took out his handcuffs and bound the man's hands together. As the policeman worked on him, the man kept snarling and trying to bite the policeman's hands. Finally, the doctor in charge was summoned. He took one look at the man, thrashing crazily about on the gurney, and ordered an injection of Thorazine. The hospital staff had already taken to calling him the wolf man. Mm. And Bill awoke some time later, strapped down in the back of an ambulance on his way to Rumwell Psychiatric Hospital. He had no memory of what had happened earlier in the night, and he was completely sober, by the way. But, fun fact, Rumwell Hospital only actually closed its doors in 2012. Mm. Yeah, the building is still there as far as I know. So he's on his way to this place to finally get the help he needs. Yes, exactly. And that's where the story ends. He was put in his own room and spent the night having drug-induced dreams. When he woke up, starving the next morning, memories started to trickle back and eventually a doctor came in to see him. He told the doctor everything about the time when he was a child and attacking his friend in the back of the car. And then the doctor gave him a choice. Stay in the hospital and let them administer tests and try to get to the bottom of all this. Or go on home. Pretend like nothing happened. So naturally, Bill went home. I think word had gotten out about this last incident and Bill was feeling the effects already. 
people giving him strange looks and children that were just terrified. And his co-workers were treating him like he was dangerous. And one day, oh, this is actually kind of sad. He actually overheard two of his co-workers just telling jokes about him. Mm. Like from the other room or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like actually crushed by this. Like he was so upset. He was trying to be vigilant about like he knew that that he did have a problem. And so he kept a notepad and pen by the bed. And anytime he woke up, he would immediately document whatever it was he had been dreaming about. And then in the morning, he would read it over to monitor for wolfish thoughts. Bill was leaving his mother's house on January 28th, 1984, only weeks since his last attack. He was in good spirits and relaxed. After getting into his car and starting his drive back home, however, Bill suddenly felt his mood change. His temperature plummeted and his jawline began to tighten, as if his face was becoming longer somehow. Images of wolves again began flashing before him. He knew what was happening and did the only thing he could think to do, drove to the hospital. He ran into the emergency room, which again was empty, and asked the nurse for help. She looked at him like he had ten heads. She was well used to dealing with drunks and crazies and asked him to take a sleep while she got some help. Bill was literally begging her at this point. He was like, please, you don't understand. Not wanting to, but unable to stop himself. Bill reached out with a hand that now had curled into a claw and knocked the nurse across the room. She smashed into a row of chairs, falling over them and slamming into the wall. She screamed for help. Two patients who had been around the corner came running into the lobby, saw the nurse thrown across the chairs and saw Bill standing in the centre of the lobby looking fierce and dangerous. To their credit, both patients proved brave. They moved toward Bill and tried to subdue him before he could hurt the young nurse anymore. But Bill was in no mood to be subdued. I am in no mood to be subdued. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah. As the men approached him, Bill leapt at them, hurling one of them into the same chairs that had felled the nurse and the other into the reception desk. Now it was the men who were screaming. <laughs> okay, can I just say, like, why did he run to this hospital to get help when he had the chance? He chose to go home. Well, he has, like, this is, feels like it's his only option, you know what I mean? Anyway, no. this is a different hospital. This is just a regular emergency room. He's like, where the fuck else am I going to go? But now, by now, the nurse had gathered herself enough to grab a wall telephone, because that's where telephones used to be. Yeah. And call for emergency help. Was it one of those, like... I don't know. I can imagine because it's a hospital, it's probably just a direct line. Like uh, one yeah. button, like help thing. What are those things called where you have to do the thing? A dial dial, dialing, dial phone? No. I don't know. It's not the ones where you punch in the numbers. It's the yeah, one that goes little, in a circle. Yeah. I don't know. If you know, let us know. But Bill wasn't going to wait around for more men to try and capture him. A growl rising up in his chest... Bill took off running down the corridor, deeper into the hospital. It could only be called a rampage. Anything that got in his way, Bill picked up and hurled into the wall. Chairs, tables, gurneys, even a doctor who was just coming out of a ward, <laughs> checking over a clipboard. Sandwiches, kittens. Yeah. He saw Bill and instantly appraised his condition. Clearly afraid that Bill was going to go into the ward, the doctor set himself in front of the doorway. But that didn't deter Bill. He seized the doctor by the shoulders, lifted him at least a foot off the floor, 
and then hurled him into the wall. By now, emergency tones were sounded all over the hospital speakers. The police had been summoned and were running through the halls looking for Bill. Bill's rampage continued. He went into an empty ward and demolished much of the furniture in a blinding frenzy. He ran down deep steps to the basement only to find no way out. By now, he could hear the police calling to each other as their frantic search continued. His rage unsated, he ran back up the steps and down a long corridor. He saw a lounge where a few interns and nurses were drinking coffee. He stood in the door, snarling at them. The doctors got up carefully from their seats and started for him. Bill went into the room after them, again smashing furniture as he moved. More screaming, more shouting. He grabbed an intern by the throat and was starting to choke the man when police burst into the room. Bill dropped the intern, whirling to meet his would-be captors. The police were wary of Bill. There were four officers and they formed a semicircle around him, moving slowly, carefully toward him. Even with their clubs, it was clear that they were afraid of this snarling, growling man whose whole demeanour could only be called wolf-like. Who crouched before them now, obviously ready to do them great harm. There was a window behind Bill. He thought of smashing it open and diving out of it to freedom, but time had run out. The police officers, their hands clutching their clubs, were moving closer. Closer. And now they made their move. All four of them jumped Bill simultaneously, grabbing him around the neck and torso and trying to subdue him, but they didn't find that so easy. Bill got one of the officers by the hair and arm and threw him to the floor. The man was hurled so violently against the parquet that he would remain hospitalised for four days. By then, the remaining three officers had no intention of becoming casualties themselves. With fists, clubs, elbows and feet, they got Bill to the floor and incapacitated him. Finally, they got cuffs on his wrist. By this time, the wolf attack, the wolf attack was beginning to fade. Bill felt normal again. He looked around at the debris of the lounge, looked at the frightened and angry faces of the police, looked at the cuffs on his hands, and knew, with terrible sorrow and fear, that he'd just gone through another episode. This time, Bill was brought to jail, where he was questioned before they removed his belt and laces and locked him in a cell. Scared and lonely, all Bill wanted to do was call Abby. He sat in the cell for a while, watching new prisoners come and go, and then the police surgeon came in to question him. The police surgeon is just a doctor who assesses detainees and advises the police on how they should be handled or taken care of. Mm -hmm. The doctor was very understanding and listened to everything Bill told him non-judgmentally. At the end, he asked Bill if he would consider going back to Runwell, the psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. And Bill genuinely considered it. But ultimately, the stigma was just too much and he, once again, decided against it. The doctor said, You've got a problem, my friend, and I don't think it's going to go away. And I'll tell you something. The next time you come back in here, I'm not going to give you any choice in the matter. And just like that, Bill was free to go once again. So, like, it is interesting that he, he didn't want the stigma of being locked up in the in the old psychiatric hospital. Yeah. But he was fine with all of these people knowing that he had this condition or whatever. Like, there's already a stigma, bro. Yeah, and, like, he's just done grievous bodily harm to a police officer and nurses. Like, anyway, life was hard for Bill now. 
Like, even more people were afraid of him. The word was really getting out. He was afraid of himself and he was afraid to seek any sort of treatment because he was afraid to end up in Runwell for the rest of his life. And I like I I get it, you know what I mean? Like he had three kids as well, like yeah, and they were having a terrible time. Like they were getting bullied and stuff because their dad was the Wolf Man. Yeah. But Abby, his wife, as always, stayed by his side and said that nothing stopped Bill. He still went to work, provided for his family, no matter what, or no matter what people were saying or how they tr- were treating him. And even though they never knew when another attack was coming on, they just got on with things as normally as they could. And just like after the last attack, Bill did take steps to try and prevent it from happening again. He stopped drinking completely, even though he'd been completely sober for the last one. He stuck to water instead of beer, and Abby started preparing healthier meals. He was still having dreams of transforming, but he didn't tell anyone. He started reading through his daughter's nursing textbooks whenever he was home alone, and eventually came across the term lycanthropy. <laughs> it was him. He was terrified and intrigued, and now he had a name for what it was. So he went to the library and eventually stumbled upon the case of our old pal Jean-Paul Grenier. And he was horrified because he didn't read it, the case that we read, as like, you know, oh, this poor kid that was like, you know, ostracized and looking for a family. He read it as straight up fact. Like, Jean-Paul Grenier was eating kids as a wolf, you know? Yeah. But a clinical lycanthropist like Bill terrified him. He was just disgusted. He was worried he was going to end up killing and eating people just like Jean-Paul claimed he had. Two years passed, though, and no more attacks. People had, like, kind of forgotten about it. They were treating him normally again. And life had just moved on and gotten back to normal. One night, Abby finally brought it up. And they spoke about how lucky they were. All that was behind them now. It must have just been a phase that he was going through. Some people wear black nail polish and a side parting. Bill decided he was a werewolf. It's okay. It's a phase. He got over it. Quote, That night, I had the nightmare again. Running down a long road at dusk. Turning slowly but surely into a wolf as I ran. Running toward a huge blood red moon that lay just beyond the grey clouds of dusk. I came awake bathed in a sweat so cold my teeth were literally clacking. I went into the bathroom and found some aspirin. I couldn't stop shaking. I went back to bed and tried to sleep, but I couldn't. I lay there until dawn, until it was time to get up for work. I was exhausted and afraid. I couldn't remember being this frightened in a long time, and I wasn't even sure why. All I knew was that something terrible was going to happen, and soon. So on the night of July 22nd, 1987, Bill took the company van home from Horn Church so he could drop off his co-workers. He then made the mistake of stopping at the White Horse Inn. It was a hot midnight and Bill was thirsty from many hours of hard work, so he decided to have a quick pint. But of course, he didn't stop there. He met some old friends and started drinking in a way that he hadn't for at least two years. By the time he left... A few hours later, he was admittedly drunk and worried about being picked up by a policeman. For this reason, he chose the South End Seafront as his driving route. It was the most direct way to his home and, with luck, at this time of the night, there would be little traffic. This particular route, however, 
took him right through the red light district and it was there that he developed this strange plan. As Bill later recounted the story, he saw Lauren, a young prostitute, walking along the street and decided to get her in the van, at which point he would place her under citizen's arrest and take her to the nearby police station. Lauren tells a different story. I was walking along the street. It was late and dark, and that always makes me nervous. When I sensed the car cruising along slowly behind me, I turned and saw this van. I could barely make out the man's face. I wondered if he were looking for a woman. But somehow I didn't think so. Not cruising the way he was. He seemed to have something else in mind. You can imagine what it was like. This van staying right on my heels as it were. And the man inside staring at me. I wondered about running. But then I realised that he could easily hop out of the van and come after me. I kept hoping to see a policeman. A lot of the girls don't especially like cops. But I do. Despite what I choose to do I've always found policemen very protective and courteous. I wanted to get to the station and feel protected. Then the van surged ahead of me and pulled over to the curb. I didn't know what to do. Maybe this man was cruising for women after all. Something harmless. I started toward the van. He leaned over and pushed the door open for me. He was a nice looking man until you watched his eyes. There was something crazed about them. I don't know how else to describe them. He asked me to get in the car. I knew I didn't want to. I turned and started to walk away, but he called me back. Reluctantly, I went, and now he sounded like a customer, a little shy, even coy. I smiled. He didn't seem so bad, even his eyes seemed pretty normal. I got inside. I shouldn't have, I know. I should have trusted my first impression, but I climbed in, and he closed the door, and we were off. Bill drove three blocks in silence. Is everything all right? Lauren said. He could tell she was frightened. He enjoyed knowing this. Did you hear me? He still said nothing. Where are you taking me? Still nothing. Just driving straight ahead, he saw panic ignite her gaze. I want out, she said. He just kept thinking, won't she be surprised when she sees where I'm taking her? I'm placing you under citizen's arrest. You're too young to be a prostitute. And then she saw where he was taking her and she started to laugh. And Bill said... I had no idea why I was what I was doing. I just had this need to take her to the police station. Maybe I was secretly afraid that I was going to harm her in some way and I wanted her to be in a safe place. I have no idea what made me so single-minded about taking her there. But I pulled into the back of the station and stopped the van. I could see she was scared again and confused. She just kept staring at me as if she was studying my face for the answer to what was going on here. Eventually she got out and went into the station. She literally ran from the van. She didn't even close the door. And Bill just sat there and listened to her footsteps as she ran toward a side door into the station. He didn't know what to think. He tried to make sense of his mood, but he couldn't. Every few minutes, he would feel this rumbling growl start working its way up in his chest and feel his hands curl into paw-like extensions. He kept trying to block out the imagery of the wolf in his mind. He was starting to change. Never before had he felt such an overpowering sense of himself as a wolf. He opened his door and stepped down. He began walking slowly toward the police station. The growl was starting to work up through his chest again. 
He felt his whole body tense, as if it were anticipating a terrible change of some kind. He walked straight toward a policeman he now saw coming around the corner. Bill almost killed that police officer, right there. He got him on the ground and kept attacking him. Eventually he got his hands around the officer's throat and just kept chanting, When the devil's in me, I'm strong. Over and over again. I was trying to see whether you were still awake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got up he got him on the ground and kept attacking him. Eventually his hands around he eventually he got his hands around the officer's throat and just kept chanting, When the devil's in me, I'm strong. Over and over again. Officer Busby said, Before I knew what was happening, he threw me to the ground and got on top of me. His face underwent an incredible transformation. His eyes got especially crazy. His lip pulled back over his teeth and his hands became suddenly claw-like. He was tearing at me the way an animal would, as if he were trying to rend my flesh. What a word. Mm-hmm. It took six more officers to finally get Bill off of Busby and on the ground, and another six to hold him still while the police surgeon injected him with a sedative. The first sedative didn't even do anything. Wow. Yeah. They managed to get him into the cell and then they had to administer another one as soon as they got him there. All the while, the police dogs in the yard were going ballistic. The officers who were there said they sounded like they were in mortal pain. Probably like how your dad's chihuahua sounds. <laughs> just <laughs> on a regular. Like... <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, like literally any time you're near them. Yeah, like I'll just walk into the garage and they'll start wailing. And many of the officers said that Bill looked completely inhuman at this point. Quote, no man could look or sound as Bill Ramsey did that night. It would be impossible. The officer he almost killed was notably the big tough dude that the other officers would call whenever they needed someone to come and handle these things. He retired after that night. Poor bastard was just so traumatized by what had happened. He literally hung up his boots there and then. He's like, nope, never going back. Yeah. And Bill woke up once again in Rumwell Hospital. He said that even in the throes of his attack, his natural instinct was to fight off the sedative because he knew it would lead him here. He was committed for all of 10 days this time, even though the police surgeon was well within his legal rights to have him sent in for 28 days. He was subjected to all sorts of tests and the only explanation offered was one psychi- was one psychiatrist who just blamed alcohol, even though a few of his attacks had happened while he was completely sober. Poor Bill was so distraught and depressed that when he left, he was strongly contemplating suicide. Ed and Lorraine Warren, yes, this is the same episode. <laughs> they just happened to be in London for business, you know, fighting demons and doing book tours and stuff like that yeah and they were getting ready to go out for dinner one sunday and the tv was kind of just on in the background when suddenly lorraine's ears perked up at the mention of a werewolf she said she was literally putting her fucking earrings in and she was like oh look at that the news anchor displayed a picture of bill ramsey and asked is this the face of a werewolf (laughs) and by now The stories had been in the newspapers and Bill and Abby had been like persecuted by the media. Bill's attacks had continued and the stories were wilder than ever, including one example of Bill fending off 20 officers while on all fours. Right. And still hadn't been locked up or like charges pressed or nothing. Like, I don't know what the fuck was going on. And now 
I'm sure I've said this before on here, but Ed and Lorraine Warren were like my ghost hunting heroes when I was younger. I had this really old book about the Amityville Horror. I got it at like the Christmas fair at school. Oh. Yeah, I, it's probably still at home um, and all that. But the more I look into the, their stories, the less I am to believe every single thing about them. I'm sure they did wonders for it, like the ghost trade. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure we wouldn't have like we probably wouldn't be here talking about this if it wasn't for them. But. I'm not here to debate their work or their involvement in different cases or anything like that. Or their integrity. Or their integrity. Or the fact that Ed had a underage side chick living in the house with them and stuff like that. Anyway. On the, I will judge that. I mean, no, I'm going to judge it. <laughs> I'm just like, for this exact episode, I'm not going to go into it. Yeah. But on the Tony Spera TV interview that the Warrens did to promote this book, which is just called Werewolf by Ed and Lorraine Warren and someone else. Um <laughs> I'll quote, I'll get the actual reference at the end. And someone else. And someone else. They told this exact story of the first time they heard Bill's case differently. You know, I'm like, dude, it's literally in your book and you're you're getting it wrong. So anyway, yeah. here they are. Here are the Christian superheroes here to save the day. It's hard to remember a lie. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they admit that both of them were skeptical of Bill's story. And that's totally understandable. They decided to forget about it and just like, you know, go on with their ghostly lives. But something held on inside of Lorraine. She just couldn't stop thinking about it. And one day she slipped away while they were out at lunch and she called the police station to get as close to the source as she could. She said she called like 15 police stations in that area trying to find the actual one. But calling from a phone booth in secret, she got in touch with a Detective Constable Barry. Do you say Constable again? That's how you say it. It's Constable. Constable. <laughs> That's how you sound. It's Constable. Okay, Lois Griffin. <laughs> it's Constable. <laughs> it's Constable, not Constable. I'm saying Constable. constable. It sounds like you're saying Constable. Yeah. Well. Gross. She got in touch with a DC Barry who told her with deadly serious that Bill had injured a good many of his policemen and that he had seen Bill during one of his attacks. She asked if they could go to the police station to speak in person. They had to be careful with these cases like they were getting involved with because, you know, this was their livelihood. And if they did happen to get into one that was proved to be phony, that would have been the end of them. Big fat phony. Big phony. But... They were very impressed when they did get to the police station. I think they were kind of expecting this like little countryside police bungalow. Mm. But this was like a top of the range, very modern for the 80s facility full of like actual detectives like in suits and stuff like picture Midsummer Murders. Brown uniforms and yeah, yeah. And mustard phones. Yeah. You and, know, uh, Rolodexes. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> Fax machines and stuff like that. Floppy disks, maybe. <laughs> no, too early for that. Too, too, okay. too early. Anyway, they asked DC Barry if he could reach out to Bill on their behalf. And although he was hesitant at first, he said, okay, but like, I'm not going to push it. I'll ask him once and that's it. But Bill agreed to meet them. So three days later, him and Abby went to meet the Warrens at a nice restaurant. 
Bill told him his whole story and both the Warrens and their doctor friends who just happened to be along for the ride were kind of blown away by A, the details of the story B, how nice and normal Bill and Abby were and C, the fact that he was so like reserved and clearly embarrassed about this whole thing like he even forgot to bring up the fact that it had happened to him as a child abby reminded him she was like what about this time like you know what i mean that's how reserved he was and ed's theory was this i think you've been possessed by the spirit of a wolf Yeah, we lost our budget for the sound effects this time. I'm not gonna... <laughs> Bill said, I didn't know if he was telling me a joke or what. As much as I liked the Warrens and the DeMarcos, there was always the possibility that they were crackpots. I looked over at Abby and could tell that she was thinking the same thing, but I wanted to be polite and I listened. So all six of them were trying to suss each other out and see like who was the crazy one in this situation. But they were all pleasantly surprised to find out that they all seemed genuine and normal. Ed told them that he thinks a good old-fashioned exorcism would sort them out. They explained that it wasn't all pea soup and shoving crucifixes inside yourself, and they knew that the best guy <laughs> and they knew the best guy in the business, Bishop Robert McKenna. Shoving crucifixes in your constable. <laughs> in your DC. But Bill was like, dude, I can't afford to just drop everything and go to the States for weeks on end just on the off chance that this madness might rid me of this madness. But Ed told him not to worry about it. They'd look after the expenses. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that I will say from the few interviews I've seen, that's very much Bill's or Ed's way. It's like, you know, I'm the big guy. I'm. He actually reminds me of John Wayne Gacy. Mm. like so like i see in it. stature and like mm. in his attitude like i'm the big man around here i've got a wallet like don't worry yeah. about it look at this cadillac look at my wife look at my girlfriend look at my house big things anyway bill was he super sounds like a rapper <laughs> <laughs> yeah a 1980s ghost rapper <laughs> <laughs> bill was super nervous and skeptical but everyone he talked this over with was like dude fucking like what else like what have you got to lose like if nothing else you'll get to go to the states for free Mm. so they met with the warrens again before they flew home and this time it was much more jovial even the dc dc berry from the station was there and he actually gifted the warrens with like some police hats and stuff like you know like the old (laughs) bobby hat that's funny yeah and the warrens had to leave the party for a couple of hours to go and tend to a young boy who had been possessed by demons. But despite their tiring work, <laughs> they managed to come back for more drinks afterwards. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Bill told them that he he did. He wanted to go ahead and try with the exorcism and, and all that. So the Warrens left that night and they told Bill they'd be in touch. It was almost two weeks before they called to make arrangements. And poor old Bill was like, I my heart goes out to Bill like for the, I know he did stupid things and like why didn't he just accept help in the first place but he was like walking around the house like just hoping the phone would ring and every time it did he'd like jump up and be like oh it's just your mom again Bill it's like fuck but hello yeah. hey mom <laughs> yeah it's your werewolf son isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want no kappa 
What? <laughs> I don't want a cuppa. Oh. <laughs> That's what they call it. So anyway, eventually the Warrens, they, he thought they'd forgotten about him. Mm. And he was like, oh, fucking Egypt, shouldn't have got my hopes up kind of thing. But they mm. did call him and they arranged for a British tabloid uh, newspaper called The People to pay for the whole thing in exchange for exclusive rights to the story. They would send a reporter and a photographer over with Bill and Abby and document the whole thing. They agreed, like, they were cautious of the media already because yeah. they had already made a fucking show of them. Mm -hmm. But they went and met this reporter ahead of time and he turned out to be, like, a lovely guy. Seemed like an, a legit reporter, not just some scummy fucking guy. And now, if we're to believe Ed's theory that this was indeed some wolf spirit possession and for the purposes of this story... We are believing it. In typical demonic fashion, it seemed to know that it would soon be under attack. Bill said, I'd never had an attack in my own home, but one evening I was sitting there watching television when I felt the deep chill pass through my body and felt my hands begin to curl into claws. I cried out for Abby. She came running from the kitchen. She saw immediately what was going on. She hurried across the living room to try and embrace me hold me back in some way but I'd already flung myself on the floor where Dusty our brown and white Jack Russell cross dog was hunched down watching me Dusty knew something was wrong he growled in fear but he also sensed that I was in pain and fear myself good boy that he is he began whimpering sympathetically and crawled across the floor to press himself against me in a protective way Aww. despite myself I snarled Abby shouted and tried to stop me from what I was about to do, but it was too late. Oh no. I backhanded Dusty so hard he flew across the room and slammed hard into the wall. He began crying, as did Abby. She can't stand to see animals hurt. <laughs> Sometimes this no book is written like really childish. Same person yeah. would. But she kept her mind focused enough on the situation to start calling, Billy, stop, Billy, stop. She kept saying this over and over again as she walked towards me. I was afraid I was going to become overwhelmed entirely the way I had the times I'd fought all the policemen. She came closer, closer, still repeating, Billy, stop. She saved me. Somehow, I got right up to the edge of the craziness that usually overtook me and pulled back. Her voice restrained me somehow. It took 15 minutes before I was back to being Bill Ramsey. But in that time, I didn't throw anything around, nor did I try and hurt Dusty again. Abby sat with me on the couch, holding me. I was excited, wanting to talk about what had happened, how she had been able to call me back. You stopped me, I said. I know, she smiled, but I would have thought that's impossible. I love you. That's why you were able to draw back. <laughs> yeah. So that I left that in because it reminded me a lot of like the Conjuring movies mm -hmm. and like the whole like love conquers all. Anyway, so that was the first time he had ever had an attack in his own house, mm -hmm. but it was also the first time he'd been able to get pulled back from an attack as well. And like the he first didn't... time he'd ever bitch slapped Dusty. Uh, yeah, and but he backhanded. He was like pimp slap, pimp slap that dog. Yeah. On July 23rd, they headed over to the states and landed in New York before driving the 60 miles to Connecticut. Here, they set up in a motel for the night, 
exhausted after their travels. Bill passed out early enough and Abby laid in bed watching a movie. Just as she was starting to doze off herself, she heard that old familiar growl coming from Bill. She looked over at him and said his eyes were wide and staring at her, only they didn't look like Bill's eyes. They were, quote, the darker, glistening, furious eyes of another species. She stayed calm and told Bill she loved him and he needed to stop this and after a long while she slowly started to see the thing leave him and her husband return. The next morning she didn't say anything to Bill but he told her he had a strange dream the night before. He dreamt he had woken up but was trapped in the body of a wolf. The first thing they had to do before the exorcism was a series of health tests to determine if Bill could handle the strain of the whole ordeal. He passed the physical, but some of the tests were inconclusive. Then, he met with Bishop McKenna, who told him out straight, this might be a walk in the park, or it could kill you. It might not work at all, or it might take numerous attempts. At this time in his career, the bishop had performed 50 exorcisms. 20 had been a success. He told Bill that he had actually ordered the EKG to be done at the hospital because a stun gun could easily kill a man with a bad heart. The exorcism would be carried out the following morning. Abby lay awake that night until well after 4 o'clock that morning. And not long after, she woke up to that terrifying low growl coming from the other side of the bed. Slowly, Bill sat up in bed, the sheet falling away from him, and turned to face Abby. His eyes were the colour of blood rubies, and she could see, even in the shadows, how his lips were pulled back from his teeth and his claw-like hands reached out for her. Bill! She shouted, trying to scramble off the bed before he could grab her, but she was not quick enough. Bill got hold of the strap of her nightie and pulled her back to him. Bill! But now he was on top of her, and they were resting around on the bed. She had no doubt about what he wanted to do, to tear at her flesh with his white, snapping teeth. She knew she was giving in to panic as she tried to push her husband away. She knew that if she was to save herself and help him at the same time, she would have to compose herself and speak to him as she had that night at home when he'd hurt their dog. Bill, she said calmly, still using the heels of her hands to push, again, to push his face away from her throat. Bill? I want you to stop this. As he's trying to chew her fucking throat out. <laughs> That's got to be hard. Yeah, Bill. <laughs> yeah. There, in the darkness, as Bill's growling grew angrier than ever, her soft-spoken words sounded almost pathetic. How could such a sweet, soft voice stop the crazed beast that Bill had become? As she held his biceps to push him away, she could feel the tightness of his entire body. Long slabs of muscles in his back right. reminded her of a dog's or what? a wolf's. Oh, because she's <laughs> normally straddled by dogs and yeah, wolves. Yeah, this is like taking this... some weird turn. Yeah, it is. I feel like this is some weird erotica. Yeah, some weird furry erotica. Yeah. Bill. He tried once again to sink his teeth into her throat, not with the precision of a vampire but with a rage of an animal crazed by its own fury. He wanted to rip her whole throat out, leaving nothing more than a hot, bloody hole. Oh, what the <laughs> Jesus fuck? Jesus Christ, I don't know. Adam, why? I didn't write this. I'm, I'm reading from in. the book. 
I'm trying to describe the situation here. The, the author sounds like um erotica. Like, I like know, like a woman in her menstrual cycle. Oh, I didn't think about that. I just thought, anyway. You said bloody hot hole, right? Yeah, I was thinking of her throat just bleeding. Bill, I want you to stop, please, Bill. I want you to stop. His hands found her throat then, and he started choking her. The way he had the policeman, Brad Busby. By now, his strength was overpowering. His hot spittle sprayed her face. His hands on her throat pressed tighter and tighter. For a terrible moment, she began to see images of her life pass by her. Her life, she knew, was ending. Her own husband was going to choke her to death in their motel room. The seediness of the situation depressed her. What? In that split second she got depressed? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, here, on this fucking motel room floor. (laughs) That's funny. So you mean to tell me... That's what she was worried about. This is a very proper... No, you mean to tell me that cash money Ed Warren couldn't spring for a hotel, that he put them in a motel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess motels were a little different back then, Mm. but I don't know. Anyway, Bill continued to choke her. By now, his growling was so loud, her ears were literally ringing. Then, she managed to hit him hard with the heel of her hand at the base of his jaw. Hard enough to knock his hands away momentarily. She rolled off the bed, slamming against the floor. He came scrambling off like a berserk animal, trying to grab her once more. She managed to crawl over the desk. Quickly, she grabbed the empty soda bottle she'd set there the night before. At least she had a weapon now however modest it might be. As Bill started to rush at her, and now he was on all fours, and his eyes were once again the colour of blood rubies, she brought the bottle behind her head and got ready to strike him with it. Bill, I love you. If you don't stop, I'm going to stick this up your ass. (laughs) (laughs) But... In her defense, how fucking scary would that be? Yeah, you just wait. Well, first of all, like being me, I get I get scared when something wakes me up. Regardless, <laughs> like, like yeah, like yeah. on default, I'm like <laughs> scared. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I got up to pee, but now yeah, imagine waking up and I'm there, probably nude. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Fucking running at you on all fours. Oh like, yeah, I would be terrified. terrifying. I would be terrified. She hadn't thought he'd even hear her words. She spoke so softly anyway, and his growling was still very loud. But when she said this, she saw a painful recognition begin to show in his blood ruby eyes. As if at least a part of him had suddenly recognized who she was and what he was about to do to her. She said it again. Bill, I love you. I love you. (laughs) You're having way too much fun with that one, (laughs) with that accent. (laughs) It's not like I was practicing or anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> now how would i sound like a distressed yeah, wife that's how i've been answering all my calls and work <laughs> hello <laughs> um <laughs> no wonder they keep hanging up on me <laughs> <laughs> and he stopped then right there in the middle of the motel floor the grimy seedy dirty motel floor <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. all she could hear for a time was the panting sound he made and then the traffic noise from the highway People were going to work early. The headlights of a passing car briefly lit Bill's face. She saw that he was slowly losing the wolf-like qualities she'd seen there only moments before, 
and was becoming her bill again. He surprised her by speaking. Help me, Abby, help me. And then she took him in her arms and cradled him like a small child. Sometime near dawn, he fell asleep that way, there, on the floor, his head in her lap as her tender hands stroked his shoulders. I feel like I need a cigarette after that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, the, the well, that morning, later on, when, when they woke up, Bill couldn't remember anything, like what had happened. He only knew that he fucked up because I think he had, like, broken the chair in the motel room or something. Like he could see the damage that he had caused. And he was also just really nervous and his hands kept twitching like this exorcism was about to happen in like two hours. Yeah. It was really, at this stage, it was really looking like their one and only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. The exorcism <laughs> wasn't over. <laughs> now you sound like a rapper. You know how like they say yeah. phrases and they end it with like a noun? Yeah. <laughs> like that line from Doja Cat, she was like, something ain't shit laxative <laughs> you get it because it's like laxative. yeah well no that just that whole sentence just reminded me of uh star wars <laughs> the only hope obi-wan, yeah. kenobi. obi-wan kenobi help me you're my only hope that oh my god that's why i told you over a text message where you were like i love you and i text you back i know because i was referring to that movie i was wondering if you oh, caught really? the reference star wars yeah i know yeah. Han Solo, the dirty, yeah. slimy bastard. <laughs> the one uh, that's too cool to say I love you back. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I know. Burn, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and kiss your brother again. <laughs> anyway, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> the exorcism, like just a word of warning, it it wasn't like overly dramatic or anything. Just before we get into it. Was it um, not? This whole thing has been a bit overly dramatic yeah up until this point it has been very dramatic very uh lustful very erotic yeah <laughs> but present in the church were ed and lorraine bill and abby the journalist and the photographer four off-duty police officers all armed with stun guns and oh uh, now we get it now you get the stun yeah, gun yeah, reference yeah. and bishop mckenna Bill looked noticeably sickly and agitated, sitting in his lone chair facing the altar. Both him and Abby said the whole experience up to this point was so mundane and normal that it was almost funny when the bishop started, like, spitting in his Latin fucking verse. (laughs) (laughs) Spitting. Osmodius Deus. But, like, it was a brightly lit... He was spitting bars in Latin. Absolutely, like, big gold crucifix hanging off his neck. (laughs) He had a fade and shit. Yeah, all the, the <laughs> money overflowing from the collection basket. Yeah. You see this shit? He's just throwing yeah. it on the floor. It ain't nothing. Nuns with their, like, thigh highs and yeah, shit. Yeah. Players, malabias. These big um, tits. <laughs> <laughs> Why can I see so much cleavage in their, in their habits? <laughs> anyway, no, but, like, it was a brightly lit modern church. And it was the middle of the day. I think it was a Saturday. And... It just everything was so normal that it just didn't feel like anything was actually going to happen. Yeah. And it went on like this for around 30 minutes. They literally said like Bill was looked like he was trying not to smile at some points. That makes sense. It just seemed so ridiculous. Yeah. And then the bishop approached Bill, touched him on the forehead with his, uh, what's it called? Their stole. 
like the little scarfy fucking thing oh that they yeah wear. yeah yeah and then he grabbed him their, by the head with their drip yeah <laughs> gucci bitch <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, then he grabbed fucking Bill by his head and starts demanding that the werewolf be banished forever. Yeah. So it took a sharp left turn. Right. He wasn't expecting this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Suddenly. The drip, yeah. <laughs> Bill started to go into convulsions. His face was shifting between regular Bill and wolf Bill and back again. The whole time his body was shaking and writhing uncontrollably in this chair his lips pulling back from his teeth and his hands becoming claw-like. Suddenly, he lunged at the bishop, who retaliated by pulling a crucifix out of somewhere and shoving it into Bill's face. And Bill fucking lost it. Hmm. In Abby's words, Suddenly, everything was a nightmare. Bill was going into one of his spells again. I kept thinking about how he tried to strangle me the other night. Would he now try and do the same thing to the bishop? It was hard to believe that the man I loved was this strange, enraged creature that resembled a wolf. I'd never seen his eyes this wild, not even the other night, or seen his hands look so much like a wolf's claws. He jumped up from his seat and tried to attack the bishop again. I just imagine Bill's hands, like look at my hands, okay? Yeah, tiny. Okay, and then imagine if I'm like going at you like, like I'm a yeah. wolf. Like it's not scary. now. Now that I have my hands like this, would you look at them and be like wolf-like? No, I think it's <laughs> hilarious. You look like lobster man. <laughs> um, anyway, let me finish this fucking story. Bishop McKenna, after Bill lunged at him again, Bishop McKenna took refuge on the altar, and as Bill ran at him, he held up the cross and started speaking in Latin. Osmodius, Blaeus, Palladius. Amadeus, Amadeus, Nostradamus. Yeah, yogurt. Bill suddenly turned weak and staggered back, landing in his chair. The old familiar coldness leaving his body once and for all. Bill actually said he could feel this struggle going on inside him. The need to attack the bishop and yet his own physical strain was so much that he literally passed out in the chair. Like he, he said he was trying to turn around to look at Abby for help and he was so weak he literally couldn't do it. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> so that he passed it. out, woke up, and everything was fine again. Gone. Yep. Bill said he literally felt like a new man. And at least two years after this all took place, they hadn't had any wolf-related incidents. Yeah. And as far as I know, ever again, I've like I have been looking for updates and stuff like that. Can't find them anywhere. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, all I can say is I hope him and Abby lived or are still living a lovely, peaceful life. Yeah. Because they do seem like genuinely nice people, mm -hmm. you know, um, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's the story of Bill Ramsey. That's why you've been listening to Werewolf Stories for the last three weeks. That's why I haven't been able to sleep without different things about werewolves. And Adam's I like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm washing my yeah. hands of this. Go away, werewolves. <laughs> But I do have a bonus round. A boner round. All oh, right, go ahead. Yeah. This is actually kind of a sad story. Oh, good. Yeah. Like, round it out. I hate Love it. finishing up on a happy note. Okay. 
But this is a great example of clinical lycanthropy in modern medicine. Okay. So we're going to call this man Bob. Okay. Okay. I was going to call him Bill, but for obvious reasons, I didn't want too many Bills. You didn't want to double dip. I I didn't want to double dip. I get it. You'll get it the more I go through this. But I actually got this from the U.S. National Library of Medicine. And it's an actual case study. So obviously, like throughout, he's just referred to as the patient. I just wanted to give him a little name to make it a bit friendlier. And uh, so I'm going with Bob, ultimately. Bob was displaying some very strange behaviors, and it was starting to affect his home life. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Bob's family saw no other choice but to bring him to the hospital. These strange behaviors included excessive hand washing and decreased sleep, along with recurrent cleaning of genital areas. Oh, and acting like a buffalo for four months. What the fuck? So during an interview with the patient. This re- whole time I was like, what's wrong with washing your junk? <laughs> yeah. No, it's like fervently washing your junk like every few minutes, like mm. making sure it's spotless. Do buffalo do that in the wild? We're going to find out. Okay. No, no, they don't. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> During an interview with the patient, he reported engaging in sexual activity with his own buffalo a few times six months ago. Whoa. And since then, he believes that a few cells of the buffalo have entered into his body and that he would turn into a buffalo. To avoid this, he recurrently washes his hands and genitals. Gradually, his belief strengthened and he was convinced that he had become a buffalo due to his bestiality. Along with this, his... Was he single? Uh, I don't know, honestly. I was just curious. Yeah, I... From what I can gather, I think he just lived with family, like his parents or whatever. Did I don't this, know. Did this buffalo seduce him? <laughs> the buffalo kidding. is the victim here, and we're not victim blaming. <laughs> um, did the buffalo? It was a particularly attractive buffalo, but that is neither here nor there. Have like these enormous tits. Yeah, it wasn't even that they were big; it was just how they presented them. You okay, know, like yeah. really well. Uh, or maybe she just had like this awesome personality. Oh, hey, look. Or he. Or he. Yeah, I actually, I don't know whether it was a, a female or a male buffalo. Um, anyway. <laughs> you sound over it already. <laughs> so anyway, gradually his belief strengthened and he was convinced that he had become a buffalo due to his bestiality. And was this like a one-time thing or like? No, it said a few times. A it few was a times few he, times. Yeah, they had it was a steady relationship. Yeah. Got it. Well. Could have just been a few times in one night. I don't know. Could have been a casual thing, yeah. Along with this, his obsession with contamination and compulsive hand washing continued. About two months after the act of bestiality, he started believing that his body had transformed into a buffalo, beginning from the lower half towards his torso and face. So it started from the bottom up. Yeah, it started from the bottom and now we're here. Yeah. When he looked at himself or looked in the mirror, he visualized body parts like a buffalo and kept on screaming about his repugnant state and was constantly preoccupied about his looks because he thought he was turning into a buffalo yeah however his family members did not see any visible change in his body that's interesting because it's like wait a minute hold on let's let's reel this back buffalo good enough to fuck but not good enough to be well i mean hey that's 
I don't Look, like this. This bug. is the world we're living in. Like he just keeps um, going down my like he keeps losing points with me. Yeah. Like you fuck a buffalo <laughs> man, like you are now at zero. And now you're in you the negative. Now you're judging them both. Now you're yeah. in the negatives. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, despite what his family kept telling him, the patient was unconvinced when reassured and repeatedly tried to scrub his body and look in the mirror to see if he had reverted back to his old human self. As per his family members, for the last few weeks, he had started to act like a buffalo by nodding his head, walking on all four limbs, and asking for hay and grass to eat. Hold up. No, we're not holding up. I'm powering through. We're breaking this down. No, 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 this no, no, no just let me finish. Let me finish. This buffalo-like behavior would recur throughout the day. <laughs> he would occasionally curse and beat the buffalo on which he had performed bestiality <gasps> as he believed it to be the reason for his transformation. The family members took the patient for faith healing two weeks before bringing him to the current psychiatric facility where some rituals were performed, which is how Bill Ramsey was fixed, technically. So anyway, however, his behavior did not however, his behavior did not improve. Afterwards, the family members brought the patient to the hospital. In concordance with reports in the literature of similarly reported cases, the patient had onset of lycanthropy after sexual sexual interaction with an animal, bestiality, which led to obsessive thoughts about turning into an animal that finally gave way to delusional belief of animal transformation and related behavior. The patient's walking like the four-legged animals, asking for cattle fodder, and typical head movements mimicking buffalo were consistent with the earlier work, referencing past cases of clinical lycanthropy. However, he did not have a history of animal bites nor a connection between the full moon and the emergence of the symptoms of the disease. So, can you see why I wanted to call him Bill? I, uh, Buffalo, buffalo Bill. Bill. So, First of all, Buffalo I, Bob. I just want to throw this out there. Buffaloes don't talk. All right, continue. <laughs> Yeah, buffaloes don't ask for no, food. No, they don't. Bob. Anyway, Bob was treated pretty extensively and over the course of about six months, the symptoms of his lycanthropy decreased, although his hand washing and other obsessions were still very persistent. This case was so extremely rare because the clinical lycanthropy was the main issue, which then led to these other conditions such as OCD. Mm. Whereas usually... Clinical lycanthropy is just one symptom of the main issue being schizophrenia or whatever other issues there are. So, um, Buffalo Bob is one very special boy. Buffalo Bill. And that is the finish of this series on lycanthropy. All right. We made it. I'm so sorry, everybody. You did it. I did it. You did this thing. I did this thing. I don't know if anybody's actually impressed by it, but um, <laughs> but now we're done. Yay. That is all. Uh, I thought it would be a fun Halloween. Everybody can go home now. Yeah, I thought it would be a fun Halloween topic and uh, just fucking ruined my life. <laughs> 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 no, I'm actually, I am glad now that I covered it because it was one of those things I did want to cover. I just didn't realize it would take this long. And, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to read more Ed and Lorraine Warren books. Mm -hmm. But what I would love to do 
is a complete series on Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, thank themselves. God. I thought you were going to say Werewolf. a buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Just buffalo farming. Um, but I'm actually convinced that last podcast on the left are going to do a debunk of Ed and Lorraine Warren oh, sometime yeah. in the very near future. Like all their stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I'm so excited to hear. Oh, yeah, me too. And again, it's not like I love the stories. Yeah. I love the stories. And again, we probably wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for these stories. Yeah. But I just want to know what went on behind closed doors. Right. Me too. Anyway, guys, let's hear this fucking tarot reading. Right. So today we we pulled the werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Nine of wands. Nine of wands or Mm -hmm. nine of ones? Ones. Like as in Alakazam. Yeah. Okay. You are so close to completion or success in some aspect of your life, but this last part feels really hard today. Past experiences may be bringing up doubt for you. Don't give up. You have within you the strength and wisdom to get it done. The Nine of Wands is a card about wisdom and strength gained through experience. When this card comes up in a spread, think back to a time when you've been in a similar situation what lessons did you learn then that you can apply now? This could also be a warning. It could be that you think you know what to expect and you have your defenses up to protect yourself. Though we do learn from experience, there is always a possibility that things will turn out differently than what we expect and that people will surprise us. Sometimes when we expect the worst, that's exactly what we end up getting. Notice how you got to where you are through your own choices. You are not a victim. If you are not satisfied with your current position, you can make a choice to change that too. Much like this guy that had the choice to just go to the fucking hospital from the get-go. Yeah. I would like... I mean, well, we probably wouldn't have heard his story if he did go to the hospital. That's actually very appropriate, though, that card for me today. I had mm-hmm. a shitty day at work, and I was like, fuck it, I'll just quit. And then I was like, well... Yeah. Kind of need that dollar. (laughs) But no, as well, it's like, yeah, I know it'll get easier and blah, blah, blah. I just fucking hate not having the information to complete things. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) No, I let us know what you thought about these, uh, this episode, this series, I guess. And uh, let us know how that card feels for you this week. Yeah, I I really like when I hear, like, for example, when I heard um, one of our listeners say, like, man, that's something that really spoke to me. And I'm like, yes, yeah, I fucking love it. It is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, guys, thank you very much. Thank you to all of our new listeners. Thank you to all of our new Patreon members and all that cool shit. Follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, too, if you like. If you want to join our Patreon, you can join for as little as $2 a month. Yeah, and I think that's it. Tune in next week for uh, for not werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.